afterwards. <laughs> weird generic American voice. Was, yeah. Look at that. Oh, oh, you, Joel. Ah, brilliant. Ah, well, good afternoon slash good evening, Jared. Hello. Hey, mate. How you doing? <laughs> good, good. Where are you at the moment? Um, as you can maybe tell by the the kaka in the background, which is Noongar mm. for kookaburras, and the dogs, maybe you might be able to hear the neighbours' dogs. Um, this is my backyard. Uh, so this is uh, Wajuk Noongabuja. So maybe we should start by pushing against that ancient Christian heresy of doceticism mm. Um, mm. by actually naming uh, the goodness of uh, this land, the goodness of our Wait, bodies. wait, define doceticism. Uh, let's go, let's go. Um, <laughs> Just quickly. So, uh, doceticism was one of the um, heresies that the early church mm -hmm. uh, faced where Jesus did not come um, in the flesh, uh, that, that Jesus mm. wasn't incarnate, or rather mm. um, uh, that the Christ was somehow a spirit that saves spirits for some other place. Mm. Um, mm. And so it denied the incarnation, which I actually think mm. and we'll get to in terms of our deconstruction um, can be really helpful, um, mm. uh, even reframing rather than deconstruction. So as a way of maybe pushing back against that and grounding us um, in a prayer practice, maybe uh, in the language of uh, the people who have been on, on these lands, which I'm on for at least mm. 40,000, if not 50,000 years. And if you if you've got a window of um, 10 to 20,000 years, you're, you're dealing with uh, some some big realities. But yeah. let me start by saying, it's a, it's a simple acknowledgement in Noongar of the traditional custodians. Um, and if, if our work of going this narrow path is uh, um, Going to be healing i think we have to start in places that remember where we are and the goodness of mm. our bodies and the goodness mm. of creation mm. amen well said well said uh, and uh we're on gadigal people here gadigal nation of the gadigal people of the aura nation that uh the land that we're on is absolutely stunning and one day you'll get to come and see the school that we're meeting at jared uh and hear some of the works that are going on transforming it into wetlands um and it's um oh, wow. it's looking a little bit plain at the moment but we're trying to revive what what was here once upon a time uh, from all around this region so um yeah well, thank you for I'm, acknowledging. I'm sorry i'm not passing the piece or doing whatever the occult <laughs> appropriate greeting one another with holy kisses um, is, um, uh, the, the fist bump, the high five, um, yeah. <laughs> whatever it might be. But please send my love to, to everyone there. Um, yeah. Your darling husband, uh, as well as Steph and the rest of the mm. team. Um, there, there's so many people there that I love and respect. So this is fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we are honoured to have you as part of uh, New City Church from a distance. Um, actually, uh, you're our first guest preacher. Oh, yeah, well, it's only up from I here. I just realized. <laughs> well, we have Brooke Prentice uh, either next week or the week after coming Told along. You. So there you go. Look, we're going well. <laughs> uh, no, are are you joining. going just through Common Grace CEOs? Is that the. That's how we should do it, actually. That's right. probably a good move. Yep. So <laughs> we've kept it too so far. <laughs> That's awesome. uh, um, look, you're, we, we've read the passage, um, Matthew 7. Um, you're going to speak to us today about the idea of a narrow path. Mm. Um, 
yeah, thank you so much for the time that you've put into reflecting on this. And I know it's something that you have reflected on a, an awful lot and you have a huge amount of wisdom for not just our community, but for the Australian and global church about what it means to be uh, on the path of Jesus. Um, so yeah, how, how about you just kick us off some with some thoughts? Like where, where are we going today? Where are you taking us? Sure, Joel. One of the things that we discussed together um, was uh, not merely in your church community, but definitely your church community, that there mm. is a, a huge pastoral need for um, something that heals. And mm. that's a reality for um, a whole generation. Um, we're having this conversation amidst an unprecedented ecological crisis. And so what does it mean to take seriously um, uh, a, a theology that heals? And um, you mentioned uh, the, the word deconstruction, and I don't in any way want to take away from how um, healing important that has been for some people. Um, uh, but I also want to name that um, they're, they're how we frame things. Anybody in the activist world knows um, how you frame uh, a campaign uh, will often determine who wins. In fact, as way as illustrating that, uh, those of us who've been involved in um, refugee rights will know that for for decades nearly, Joel, we framed issues like it's not a crime to seek asylum. Now, Joel, if I was to ask you from that sentence, which I've just said once, what two words do you remember from it? Which two words would you go to? Crime and asylum. See, mm. already we undo the work we're doing. And mm. uh, the, the images we use are really important. And this text, which we've just had read, which often gets read out of context, anybody who's heard me preach before, it's a classic Jared line, but a text without a context is a sure sign you're being conned. Often these texts um, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, we forget are actually in the Sermon on the Mount at all. Um, this mm. is Jesus like uh, any good preacher um, uh, trying to land and he, he's got a couple of landings in mind. And uh, what, we've, what we're playing with in our time together now is the first landing. And it's his first framing of the issues. Um, but where we start and where we stop matters. And uh, the, the deliberate reason I got you to read verse 12 before we went on to 13 and 14 was the imagery that Jesus is using that is framing this discussion. If we miss just what comes before, um, and depending on which scholars you're listening, it's either 14 commandments or 15 commandments um, uh, prior. To this one if we miss that we miss any talk of the narrow gate or um, this narrow path being anything to do with what jesus is actually inviting us into mm. um, deconstruction as a way of framing much like it's not a crime to seek asylum often leaves us um, in places that never return um, to the radical work of jesus what it can mm. be helpful is uh, uh, pulling apart um, uh, horrible harming fundamentalisms and as way of uh, way of reframing, well, let, let's initially frame um, reframe the the refugee um, rights conversation. The difference between it's not a crime to seek asylum, and mm. uh, framing like a refugee just means someone like you and me, only they need safety. After mm. that sentence, what are you left with? Like, what words stick out after hearing that sentence just the one time? Yeah, yeah, refugee, you and me. There's a sol solidarity there. Um, and safety and yeah. safety isn't that amazing and what yeah. um, we need to do with this work is um, the language of deconstruction uh, which my initial trainings were in fine arts majoring in sculpture um, my mm. 
best mate from art school, Christian, um, has an artwork that sold for $1.3 million. So I always chose a, a different path and, and now considering whether <laughs> that was the right thing for me. But um, we were schooled in deconstruction. And even at that mm -hmm. time, Joel, we were about 20 years behind um, the conversation in terms of like continental European philosophy. Mm -hmm. But at art school, it was all Derrida. It was all Foucault. It was all Alain Badou. Um, and uh, the, the, the ways that deconstruction gets talked about um, in terms of texts and how we read texts is really important. But Jesus isn't merely talking about what we might uh, call using um, high points, scrabble words, hermeneutics or ontology or questions of epistemology. In other words, I can't spell. But Jesus is rather bringing us back to something that's far more about embodiment. Mm. And what it is that our good bodies that are a part of a good creation mm. are taking part in the transformation of all things mm. so that evil, injustice, sin, oppression, death and violence aren't what reign, but instead mm. our bodies are participating in something different. Mm. And that, that's what I want to invite us into as we start. What, what's the frame we're using? And the difference of, of re-embodiment mm -hmm. versus deconstruction is that it, it's quite possible that deconstructing conversations can leave us um, with a different set of intellectual ideas. But I know from my experience, it's possible to talk about deconstructing Christianity and never got, get to conversations about decolonizing Christianity. Mm. Um, and I think decolonizing is a much more helpful frame because of the mm. questions that it's asking. And it's asking questions that actually have to do with this narrow path. So how's that as an initial yeah. kind of like way to- That's brilliant. Yep, we're gonna cover lots. That's fantastic. Um, so, I Joel, so maybe questions. I can ask a question of you, if you don't mind. You go, yep. <laughs> when you have heard yeah. this passage, either verse 12 or 13 mm. and 14 quoted, um, would you talk me through a little bit how you have heard this referred to? What, yeah. what I'm seeking to do is just kind of um, ground for people. Let's name, um, let's name framings that are there for some people and we'll see mm -hmm. if we can reframe them in something that looks more a, a little like Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think for me growing up, and I wonder if this was kind of your typical evangelical reading, I, I, I don't know, but for, for me, this is how I heard it over and over again. It was a way of thinking about who's in and who's out. It's those who are on the narrow road are the ones who are in, they're the good ones. Those who are not, um, they're, they're the ones who have taken the easy route. That's the cop out. Um, I know for, for me, staying on the narrow route was for a long time celibacy. Like that was kind of all it amounted to. Um, right. And so it was a way of stewarding my body through sexuality and the, the frame that I'd been given there and anything that deviated from that, it was a capitulation. It was me slipping off. It was falling away. It was, um, it was, it was in the negative. Um, so yeah, that, that's probably how it was most commonly taught with the caveat that, you know, stick on the narrow road, stick to the narrow path. Like this is, it's going to be hard, but it's worth the cost. That was kind of the, the yeah, biggest framing. Yeah. And, and maybe this is where the, the language that we talked about, um, uh, if we think about the, the broad path is either black and white or gray, and those larger mm -hmm. theological options that modernism has produced over the last 200 years, 
um, of like liberalism as a response to um, seeking to how do we come to terms with the latest scientific discoveries, a, a shift in worldview, a Cartesian worldview, and in response to that, fundamentalism um, mm. that said, no, 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 um, those German kids playing with the text in that way, we're, we're not comfortable with that. Instead, we're going to restate these things, not as an embodied reality, but again, as an intellectual proposition. Like if this gate is about entering into something, if this path is actually about walking something, it requires mm. our bodies to be involved. And what, what's fascinating is it's not that sexuality isn't part of the conversation, but as Terry Eagleton, um, the post-structuralist Marxist um, uh, British um, uh, thinker who taught at Oxford and Cambridge, as he talks about the big disappointment for a lot of fundamentalists with the New Testament is how little Jesus talks about sexuality. <laughs> so I, I don't want to mm. say that this isn't mm. a, about sexuality in part, but that part is part of a whole. Mm. And the hole in which Jesus is teaching and maybe some of the reasons why language around um, uh, decolonizing versus deconstruction can be helpful is the frame that some people's experience of Christianity, um, either growing up in it or converting into it, has provided that um, uh, sexuality is what the conversation is about. And in the mm. midst of that, there might be some stuff about justice. Or you might consider mm. everything else. But really, um, and you know, Dallas Willard talks about sin management. Maybe we need to be more explicit and say, often it's about shame management. And when we talk about embodying, often our talk of bodies often brings up issues of shame and sexuality, like nothing else, is something that often induces shame for people. So what is it to hear these texts in ways that um, one of Jesus' 14 teachings uh, is about what we do with our sexual energies? Interestingly enough, it's aimed at men and predatory ways of actually objectifying sisters um, and then what it is to do drastic things to actually... Um, and the responsibility is placed upon um, men, and uh, which is fascinating. Uh, Jesus' deconstruction of patriarchy is it's not the responsibility um, of, of the sisters, <laughs> but those who identify as brothers in terms of what male sexuality. So let's not say that that's not part of the conversation, but what I want to draw our attention to is it's part of the whole. And this is mm. where, Joel, I think verse 12 might be helpful. Now, I'm, I might put you on the spot. I don't want to embarrass the, the preacher, the pastor. Um, but do you have your Bible with you? I do. Oh, I have it that. on my See? phone. I have it hey, on my phone. I always hey, have that, it with That'll me. work. <laughs> that'll play. Um, would you read verse 12 for us? Yeah. Yeah. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So again, if this is Jesus ending the Sermon on the Mount, the most quoted passage of scripture amongst the early Christians, mm. and if this is the final command, it's the final imperative in the Greek before we get to Jesus trying to land his sermon. And uh, here's the first one where the image that he's giving us is around um, gates and narrow paths. Then there are sheep and wolves in reference to, to false prophets. Um, uh, then we have talk of uh, uh, buildings and them falling down or them being sturdy uh, on the reality of sand versus like rock. And so these are powerful images that are starting to frame how we think about these teachings. And so one of the things that I wanna say is really important for people who are thinking through, how does my faith get put back together in such a way that it starts to heal rather than hurt me and others. 
Mm. It starts to heal rather than hurt the planet. Uh, it, it starts to call forth integrity and transparency that my life becomes an open book and that book is worth reading because it speaks to the beauty of a world to come. Mm. Is that this path comes to us as a gift. So much of the deconstruction work is about changing ideas. Um, embodiment is actually a gift that isn't optional. It's all of our reality. It, uh, the gift of our bodies and what our bodies can teach us theologically, um, the, the gift of all of creation of which we're part. And the English language fails us consistently, Joel. We talk about the environment as if we were other than the living systems mm. that cry out, groan for redemption, uh, longing for transformation. But if we return to our in embodied realities and pay attention, Jesus is teaching about the narrow path is actually Jesus' teaching that sums up the law and the prophets, which is a Jewish way of saying, here's the whole tradition, uh, here's Torah, here's the prophets. And it's summed up in imaginatively and empathetically entering into the experience of others in such ways that we do unto them what we want them to do unto us. So our bodies are involved. This isn't about a switch of ideas. Like this is not about a, a, a new set of doctrines. And sometimes uh, I get concerned that people think, oh, what I'm looking for is a new narrow path, which is about a new set of ideas. Um, ideas are only helpful if they open up the imagination to step into a new way of being in our bodies that reconciles us with ourselves. If the Apostle Paul is right, and our hope is the redemption of our bodies, that actually all of creation grows, groans, waiting for the liberation. If, if Jesus is right, and this isn't about us going to heaven, but heaven coming here, if it's about your kingdom come, your will be done right here on earth as it is in heaven. If, using our Lord's word, if it's about the restoration of all things, well, it needs to start here in us. And this narrow path is actually an invitation past the black and white of fundamentalism, this fairly recent historical response um, uh, to shifts in scientific thinking and the worldviews that followed, and past the grey of the liberalism, which is also though, and entering into the colours of what it is to be fully alive. When, when we get stuck into thinking that black and white or grey are our only options, we will miss living in full colour. And I'm convinced, Joel, that uh, this, this way that Jesus invites us into is imaginatively and empathetic, empathetically entering into the experience of others in such ways that we regain what it is to imagine that everything doesn't have to be like this. Mm. And if we, can, if we can slow down and stop there, and realize that Jesus isn't handing out a new set of legalisms and setting the bar higher, but the Sermon on the Mount and following Jesus itself, this narrow path that opens up out into life. That's how the Greek works. That this isn't like that, that there is a, it's like that roomy poem that beyond right and wrong, there is a field. I'll meet you there. This narrow path, this, this, this narrow gate is something that you enter into and there is a new reality 
that we're being invited to imagine and participate in in our bodies. And so we have to connect the golden rule. And remember that the golden rule isn't those with the gold make the rules. But what it is to imaginatively enter into this way. Mm. Joel, when I'm aware, I haven't had a reform formation. And I'm aware that uh, in reform circles, often um, there, there is a big emphasis uh, of teaching against works righteousness. Mm. I'm aware that me saying this text isn't about a set of doctrines um, or believing the right thing or um, uh, about us going to heaven, but it's instead about what it is to embody something that some people might hear what in those circles is referred to as works righteousness. Um, do you think that's a possibility? And is that something we need to open up? Mm. Yeah, I think it's helpful just to name and just to say, look, this is one way that has been framed consistently that um, that uh, 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 the, the gates are the gates of heaven and that the goal of life is to just simply get to heaven. And the goal of Jesus was to get us to heaven. And the goal of faith is to get us to heaven. And the goal of everything that we say on earth is simply just to live in light of heaven that will one day be here. Um, and how damaging that has been uh, because yeah. it, wipes away any prospect of uh, of hope here on earth uh, of kingdom here on earth of reality of god now um, and so i think uh, yeah naming it is helpful but then also just pushing past that and saying no what is being offered is not some uh, ephemeral reality one day in the future but it's something that is really present um, and what is present now as you say is our bodies uh, and so what do we do with our bodies then? What, what, what does it look like to actually live in step with creation? We were listening to a video from Lisa Sharon Harper last week Great. about the, brilliant, uh, about the dangers of um, seeing ourselves as separate from creation when in yes. reality there's two, there's two, there's creator and creation and we're part of the latter. Uh, and that shouldn't be uh, that shouldn't be something that restrains us. That should be something that sets us free uh, and allows us to live in step with the Creator. Um, and so I think reframing this passage as what actually is happening now, rather than what will get us to somewhere in the future, um, gosh, that opens up all sorts of possibilities. Yeah, and and to state really like emphatically that grace is still at the center of this. Yeah, but grace yes. isn't how we get to heaven. Grace is how heaven has come here in the person of Jesus. So this is radically centered on the life of Jesus and the importance of um, this gate and this path not being something we have to reconstruct, but it's something that is given as a gift is that resurrection is a now reality that is to be found in our bodies. That the yeah. power that rose Jesus from the grave is to be found in our bodies. And when that power is found in our bodies, we get on with the stuff that Jesus did. His militant mm. ministry, which drives out every power that oppresses. I mean, we need to connect that our Lord in the Synoptic Gospels, 37 times he denounces the powers for four practices. So whatever this narrow path is, it's not these four practices. One of them is the oppression of the poor. The other is the domination of those with less power. Another is violence against enemies. And the final one is excluding the marginalized. Mm. What I find fascinating, Joel, the, the way that this text is sometimes used in people's imaginations, the way that they frame it, 
it's been used in such ways that um, scares people out of their bodies and out of their minds in quite mm. a literal way. So, so mm. unlike the demoniac who in the presence of Jesus is found clothed and in his right mind, I see people want to actually leave any sensible and sane embodied you, you, that that calm that comes when you're in the presence of Jesus. Grace is not merely pardon. Grace is empowerment. Mm. And grace is shaped like the life of Christ. Mm. And spirit-empowered living doesn't take us out of our body, but brings us into our bodies in such way that that gracious gift of a future is able to dwell in us, to take seriously mm. that, that God is a refugee mm. looking for a home. And what it is to say in our baptisms that your presence, your desire, your healing justice, your grace can have a presence and have a home and a place to dwell in me. Not as an individual reality merely, but as a communal practice of what it is to be a people that take seriously that enemy love is our way. That when we practice um, uh, solidarity, we don't do it in, in ways that actually shame the poor by handing over big checks and using them as a opportunity for um, uh, being seen to do good things but we go on that journey that our lord prays for us at calvary forgive them father they don't know what they're doing and yet as we follow jesus and we start to embody this grace that saves that empowers that gives us back our bodies to be used not against ourselves and others but for the healing of ourselves and others and all of creation that we go from not knowing what we're doing in terms of the damage that we do in terms of the crucifying of others that we do to not knowing what we're doing when our left hand gives to those helps those empowers those mm. returns dignity to those this narrow path of imaginatively and empathetically entering into the experience of others it is the incarnation what Jesus invites us into to embody, he has embodied. And so mm. the, the church is to be a continuation, a giant Jesus in the world. So if our ministries exclude that the religious elite excluded, it, it's not a ministry that looks anything like Jesus. Mm. If our ministries continue to dominate and exploit, all those who ran to Jesus and ran away from the religious elite at the time. Our ministry is part of the problem. This is part of the invitation to walk, enter in through this gate. And it's the same word that's, that's used in verse 21. Um, uh, not all of those who call Lord, Lord will enter my reign, enter my kingdom. It, it, Joel, it's where we get that old African-American spiritual everybody talking about heaven ain't going there everybody talking about heaven ain't going everybody talking about heaven ain't going there oh my lord if we lose the context that this is enslaved people singing judgment against their enslavers who claim a christianity that is enslaving them while at the same time singing their liberation and keeping their imaginations open this is what it is to take seriously that this isn't about um 
uh, some mean, cruel deity who needs you to tick a number of doctrinal boxes before you can like go somewhere else sometime later. But this is about how God's healing of the world has started in Jesus and wants a home in our bodies. And so to connect quite explicitly that this narrow path leads out into life. And so to be able to say to anything that doesn't actually affirm life, affirm which, which heals, we need to name it explicitly is not good. Jared, we've lost some microphone. Can you hear me? We've lost your microphone. Can you hear me? Can't hear you. No. Nope. We like it. Can you hear me? Nope. Yep, there we go. We're back. Oh, great. Okay. Sorry. I'm not sure what happened there. Sorry <laughs> yeah. if uh, no, I'm not sure. I, I made editing hard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're on a good roll. <laughs> um, one of the things I, I was going to look up um, or lift up is that I went to, to look up um, some of the ways in which the early Christians use this passage. Um, for, for me, uh, it, integrity with how they embodied their faith is often a good indication of whether we're on the right track. Like if, if this kind of faith um, uh, liberates in the same way that they experienced liberation uh, i think we're on to something and uh, i was amazed to see it in um the didache which is it's kind of like the alpha course joel of um the early church right like it it was nearly included in the canon because um uh well because it's gospel um but they decided not to because over 90 percent of it is actually the sermon on the mount and they're like well we got it covered anyway uh, but it's interesting to see how how this is referred to um in um uh, the Didache. Uh, the, the quote reads, there are two ways, one of what life, one of death. And there is a great difference between these two ways. Now, this is the way of life. First, you shall love God who made you. Second, your neighbor as yourself. And whatever you do not wish to happen to you, do not do to another. Again, I, I find it amazing that they've reversed the order of this um, uh, you know, almost the language of Deuteronomy, life or death, choose life, the, the reverse the order in terms of this narrow way, and then re reverse um, in terms of the more common um, uh, uh, rabbinical teaching at the time of whatever you do not wish, do not do to another. But still you see there that um, the law and the prophets are being summarized mm. by this people who is it six times, seven times throughout the book of Acts are referred to as people of the way. 
And Joel, it's because they lived a certain way, they embodied a certain way, that this narrow path isn't about going elsewhere, but what it is to take the next step past the black and white, past the gray, into the colors of this future, which is approaching us in the resurrected one that has the final word, which is life over everything that doesn't look like Jesus. Mm. Mm. Amen. So brother, I, I'm interested um, as, as you think about your particular community and, and we push some of this uh, around, um, what do you think some of uh, people's uh, uh, queries, quandaries, uh, questions might mm. be when it when it comes to this text, because I'm also aware that for some people that frame is really hard to shift, and mm. uh, what it is to move it from uh, heaven and hell talk um, to to move it to something that is about are we participating and embodying the future which has arrived in Jesus um, is really difficult for some people to to do. Are there particular mm. things that you think might come up? Oh, we would do Q&A mm. if I was there in person, right? But, um... <laughs> yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier on the, the term decolonization of our faith and how that is such yeah. an integral part of what it means to be following this narrow way and, and be a part of the, the, the bringing out of the color of, uh, of where, what we can be a part of. Um, it's also so much of your work, the idea of decolonizing. Um, what, what does that mean um, in general, what does that mean for a community like ours? Um, if you were to sum it up, uh, in a, yeah, if that's possible. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, there are more academic ways to, to frame it. Um, but may, maybe I'll frame it personally. And I'm so pleased that, um, my, my dear friend and sister, um, Brooke Prentice is coming to share as well in terms of her experience. Um, to take seriously the incarnation of our Lord, not as a set of abstractions or as a mechanism for salvation, but as Messiah, and that the incarnation happens in a particular context, and that of a, a, a colonized people um, who, whose land has been stolen, um, and, and living under this occupation, and living under the, the trauma responses of religious institutions, and to, to name um, that, uh, you know, most scholars think that Jesus had a pharisaical formation himself. And so th this isn't um, some, you know, um, silly or quite um, uh, horrific anti-Semitism that we find in the New Testament, but this is about how Jesus um, does therapy to his own people's trauma response uh, or responses in terms of the zealot option, um, the, the option of the Essenes, uh, the options of the Sadducees and the Herodians, which get into bed with Herod and power and the Roman thing going on, and the Pharisees being the most popular option at the time. Um, but it is an option that still locks us into what we're seeking to heal from. Mm. And what, what Jesus provocatively invites us into and what he, his life and the grace that flows from his life empowers us to participate in is that which is ruled not by those forces and thinking about those forces not in some abstract kind of way but actually um, the 
the realities of like it was um, the, the Roman Empire and um, the Judean religious elite, which conspired together to kill God in the flesh. And so the importance of us starting and, and talking about like the traditional lands of which we're on, um, there is a risk that we do what we do in, in Parliament in Australia, where we say the Lord's Prayer and then do an acknowledgement of country and then ignore that and all the decisions that are there made um, and it becomes a, an empty ritual. Or it can be an invitation to, again, go this narrow way. So decolonization is about being able to name um, those powers that make stealing, killing and destroying what we're blind to. And I think in terms of decolonizing our Christian faith is what it is to actually receive a revelation that what we get in Jesus is good news to everything not just some private spiritual reality, which is dangerously, again, docetic, um, not needing Jesus to come in the flesh, not taking where he was incarnate seriously. I mean, Joel, it, if he could have come to the courts of power, he, he could have rocked up in the courts of Caesar. Mm. To take seriously what it is um, uh, that Jesus comes to a particular people in a particular place in a situation of oppression and uh, to uh, allow that to inform our situation where a lot of us have grown up in forms of Christianity or even denominations, which literally played chaplaincy to that which comes stealing, killing and destroying. And our Lord names that as the enemy, as the devil. And sometimes uh, it's really helpful to put it as clear as that that um, if it comes stealing, killing and destroying, instead of bringing life and life to its fullest, it's not Jesus. It might be Christian, but it's not Christ-like. It's anti-Christ. Mm. It's literally anti-Jesus. And so decolonization is a really helpful um, academic running partner for discipleship um, if it leads to embodiment and not just a new set of ideas. Mm. Is that helpful? Mm. That's so well said. Um, and I think that's really helpful for those of us who um, who find the process of letting parts of our tradition go quite scary uh, and mm. quite unnerving and quite daunting. And, you know, you start to feel your heart racing, thinking, oh, my goodness, I've been wrong about this one thing. Maybe I'm wrong about everything. And, uh, and there's the fear that everything could just unravel and the community falls out from underneath your feet. Your belief system falls out from underneath your feet. And so it's the reminder that actually we're chasing something more beautiful. Um, we're chasing yeah. something in color. We're chasing something that is good. Yes. Um, what, uh, what, what's your uh, word of wisdom, if there's something there, for those of us who are um, in this process of just discovering that there's something more to our faith than perhaps what we've been taught growing up in, um, in our, uh, our churches to date? Um, yeah. And that feels quite scary at this point. Uh, what yeah. yeah how do we get through this chapter again the the framing is really important uh, i'd encourage us yes we're chasing but only because we're being chased and for those of us who don't have any energy to chase before uh, for those of us who um, have experienced so much um, condemnation and trauma and um, uh, torturous kind of religious experiences um, to be able to relax and you don't have to chase 
that there is a gracious healing which is chasing you um, and it, it is not far from you it's as close as your next breath and it's to be found in our bodies um, to, to recover what it is that um, the, the redemption of our bodies means that we can be a place where no other power and the ways that the powers have formed us has to dwell but only that strange power that we see at Calvary where the Almighty is revealed as all vulnerable, where um, uh, the, the strength of human systems um, aren't as strong as, as the weakness of God. What it is to undergo this different power, this nonviolent power, this power that loves its enemies and refuses to kill its enemies, but dies for its enemies. And to remember that we're not saved by our doctrine of grace. We're saved by grace. And salvation isn't some mental ascent for somewhere else. It's actually about what it is to be delivered, to be liberated from that which does not look like the love we see in Jesus right here, right now, as a sign that one day everything, all of, all of creation will be transfigured so that God will be all in all. So how, how do we go on this journey of walking this narrow path, realizing it's taking a next step, and that these steps are really practical. It's um, allowing our, our yes to be yes. It's um, being able to, to um, give in secret. It's being able to um, not store up in barns, but actually uh, allow our wealth to cycle through the whole community so it doesn't, moths and rust can't destroy it because it's been redistributed to those without. And so the salvation for those of us who are rich from our riches is those who are poor from their poverty, that the church needs each other. And this is an embodied communal reality. Um, and we find that actually it was never about us having the answers. It was never about us having it together. It was never about us being right. And, and this kind of like, oh my goodness, where do I have to stand in all of this? What do I have to stand on? Our Lord says his final conclusion to this sermon, which is the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, oh, no, let, let, let's go here. Those who hear these words of mine and put them into practice are like a wise person who builds upon a rock. So when people are like, well, I don't know what I believe about, well, no worries. The Nicene Creed's got you covered. That's what we believe. Like, you don't need to really worry about what you believe. Relax into a community that actually will remind you that um, God is the creator and creation is good and you're part of creation and you're good. Um, that Jesus has come in the flesh, that we believe in the, the redemption of our bodies. All of that is in the Nicene Creed, the, the resurrection of our bodies. All, all of that is there. And you're like, okay, so what's my faith about? What am I to do? How are you going with loving your enemies? How are you going before you meet on a Sunday? Like actually taking time to reconcile with people so you come around the table and it's not an empty ritual but it's actually like a, a a real sign that communities can be healed and people can do conflict in ways that don't tear us apart but transform us how are you going with the the difficult practical business of removing the logs from our own eyes so that we can help one another with splinters realizing it's made of the same stuff these are the things that jesus says build on this so you're like, oh my goodness, I don't know what I believe. Don't worry. Nicene Creed's got you covered. Get on with living the resurrection, walking 
the resurrection, going this narrow path, practice these teachings as if they weren't death dealing, but grace inducing, grace participating, grace enfolding realities that open up out into life, into life in all its colors, where it's not about us having the answers, but us participating in the healing. So less being right, more us broken, problematic people like me participating in everything being made right because of the grace we see in Jesus. Mm. So true. And I, I love what you said about uh, doing that in community, in the context of people who remind us, um, because I know for our community, um, there are a lot of people who have hurt us. There are a lot of people who have excluded us, who have pushed us to the margins. Uh, and so what does it mean for us to turn around and show grace? That's really painful. Um, and it, it's it, there's even a risk of it kind of being re-traumatizing if it's That's not right. done in the context of us as a community who strengthen one another, pray for one another, keep each other, uh, hold one another, uh, love one another. Um, we do that together we do everything together um because we're not little islands floating off on our own um, you're not yeah. a little island floating off on your own we we are um yeah in our context we are new city church uh, and church yeah. means the gathering of people who uh who bring in this new resurrected order um, yeah. yeah yeah and and let me say really explicitly joel um loving our enemies is never capitulating to the terror and trauma we've experienced it's always confronting it, asserting our dignity, asserting our baptism as beloved children of God and confronting everything that speaks against it and seeks to undermine it while inviting those who participate in dehumanization into the humanizing way of Jesus. There is no way to follow Jesus, to take his incarnation seriously, to allow salvation to actually be a bodily reality for us while capitulating and being complicit in our own dehumanization. It will mm. always be love is a power that rose Jesus from the grave. And if it is to move in our bodies and in our life, it will not submit in such ways that allow us to be dehumanized. So um, mm. it's, a, it's another teaching for another day, but let's say really explicitly that um, even those that are like prophesying in Jesus' name, driving out many demons in the name. They're the ones that will say, like, did we not? And Jesus, well, King James, I have memorized, apart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. What it is to participate in the desires of the divine, in, in the will of God, is to take these teachings which heal and liberate and practice them in community, in our bodies, so that that death dealing which we were once under can't hold us back because resurrection has the last word and that's the narrow path imaginatively empathetically participating in what we wanted done to us that maybe we found at new life church and haven't found previously to those who are still stuck in sick theologies that dehumanize others instead of welcoming the reign of God. That's our work. And it heals mm. us in the process. Mm. So true. And what a joy to be a part of it, I say. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Thank you so much.
Thank you, Jared, for your time. Uh, It's so appreciated. Uh, For us over here in Sydney, what's a way that we can follow your incredible work, be a part of it? Um, Where can we find the things that you're producing? Yeah, uh, Inverse is probably the best place to land. Uh, Dr. Drew Hart and myself are bringing that um, uh, mix of um, uh, Black Church, Anabaptist, Eco-Prophet, like where all those things come together is kind of uh, our, our cocktail. Um, so Inverse, as well as being a podcast, a podcast is kind of a, a welcoming mat to a number of communities, including Liberating Sunday School, where we daily, uh, sorry, uh, where we weekly um, uh, listen to First Nations and Indigenous voices as we seek to decolonize our reading of scripture. Um, Refuge Reimagined, where we're um, seeking to recover solidarity with refugees as um, a a vital critical point for um, Christian witness in the world today. Um, Subversive Seminary, which is more focused on uh, anti-racism formation um, and and taking that seriously in how we practice discipleship. Uh, We also teach contemplative prayer during the week and there are also live podcasts during the week. So if, if that's of interest to people, we're doing a series on nonviolent atonements at the moment and uh, reframing uh, that. So our understanding of atonement actually looks Jesus-y instead of um, it doing bad things to Jesus. So if that's of interest, Joel, um, everybody's more than welcome. And to say explicitly, um, it is uh, welcoming, affirming, and um, uh, there are many people who have found a, a safe place to not just uh, participate but lead um, where their churches previously have um, uh, traumatized them so if, if that is is healing for people we'd love to see you it's always healing thank you so much for your time of course good brother grace and peace appreciate it